Hey guys, this is Maggie Ulmer from the Spirit and Truth Podcast, and I am very excited about this podcast episode today. Today, the team talks about how we can move from being passive consumers inside of a church to being active participants in the kingdom of God, participating in the equipping of the saints for the work of the kingdom. And we talk about that moment that happens for each of us, that happened for each of us at the table when we just realized something had to change, that there had to be more. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer, and I am sitting around the table in the Spirit and Truth office with some wonderful people. Let's have some introductions to my left. Tony Meltenberger. And Matt Reynolds. Emma Winchester. Hello, the crew is all here. Quick, how's everybody doing? Awesome. Yeah? Good. I I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say I'm above average today. Above average. That's above average. Excellent. Bringing some juice. Um, but today we're talking about something really important and um, central to what our ministry does. And I think part of how we try to partner with churches that we go to, um, which is how do we move from a church culture with uh, that is sort of rooted in or has um, is stuck in passive consuming to a church culture that is full of people who are empowered and equipped. So we love this topic. Yeah, well, are we um, when we talk about the vision and mission of Spirit and Truth, we often talk about... Um, our desire to help churches and individuals live more empowered by the spirit rooted in the truth and mobilized for the mission. And I think that that last bit, uh, people who are mobilized for the mission to actually partner with Jesus to participate in his mission in the world. That's something the, that statement goes beyond just coming to kind of consume, um, nice church things, or even just growing only just for yourself, but how you're actually, being mobilized means that you're in the game yourself. Mm-hmm. So first, let's let's define some terms. What does it mean to be sort of a passive consumer in a church environment? Well, I feel like just look around. <laughs> uh, that's a kind of a flippant answer, but I do think oh, we've probably been, we've talked about this when we talked about evangelism, but I think we've been actually pretty good at creating consumers in um, our church settings, at least in recent decades, because our the mechanisms that we've reached people and just kind of the nature of church has been centered around what we offer. You know, it's usually about the variety of programs and things that we offer people. And a lot of times the content itself is good, but the mechanism itself that we're delivering it to people kind of reinforces this idea that I'm I'm coming to you know, receive where we, you hear people talk about, am I going where I can be fed? Mm -hmm. Right. It's just that kind of mentality. Not that you shouldn't be spiritually fed in your church, but that's the whole idea is that I'm going someplace where I can get stuff. Mm -hmm. I would also say that if you look at the attractional church model from, I would say from the nineties to the, even the early two thousands, what we see is this environment that promotes, come and consume versus come and own, mm. right? Own the mission, own the vision, own what it means to build the kingdom. 
I think um, biblically, I think we can kind of relate this to someone who um, who just wanted to be close to Jesus without actually following Jesus. Hmm. And I think that that's probably a really good thought process when we think about what consumers did. And and if if COVID taught us anything, it's that this idea that there's a lot of people who who we taught how to go to church, but not actually how to follow Jesus. Amen. You have any thoughts on that, Emma? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just second all of that. I mean, it wasn't until a few years ago that I started um, going around to different kinds of churches and just seeing the the culture of the the larger church, not just the church that I have grown up in my whole life. And um, I'm not saying that every church that we've been to has been like no, this not at, all. at all, but there is that kind of embedded culture in every church. It's not like, oh, this one church or this one church, but even just a part of being in America in the United yeah. States is a part of consumer culture. Everything is immediate results, instant gratification. You know, we want to go to church to feel like we check something off of our good person list, you know, so it's all kind of centered around that, that it's not just a culture that's in the church. It actually started in the world. So I think that's a really good point. And I think sometimes it's so pervasive, kind of like, you know, uh, a fish doesn't really know it's in water because that's all it knows. Right. right. I think that consumerism as a way of life is so pervasive in our American culture that it's hard for us to even realize the extent to which we've been shaped by it. I mean, literally everything is a commercial, <laughs> you know, in our world. Like everything is an attempt to sell a product. And um, that mentality has infiltrated the church for decades, maybe longer than that. I mean, it's just kind of, it's just a, it's part of the water that we s- swim in. Mm-hmm. And so to make a shift away from that takes, I think, really intentional and hard work. Um, and it's not without its challenges because I think it requires doing things in the church that goes against conventional expectation of most church members. Yeah. And by conventional expectations, you're talking about that embedded culture that we all sort of live and exist in. Yeah. I mean, we, um, for example, like when you show up at a, a church in the U.S., there are certain expectations that you bring in with you. Mm-hmm. Even if you've not gone to church before, just from being in our culture and the sort of the, the sense that we have of things, you carry in those expectations. Right. So that that carries over into expectations for what a pastor does, carries expectations for the way a church presents itself, what a, a, what a successful church looks like, what things a church should offer if you're going to be a successful church, um, how to think about staff in a church. I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of ripple effects because of that, I think, embedded expectation that you come in with as because you're, you've lived and grown up in the culture where, where we are here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I even think that a part of this, I mean, we so we can talk about the church corporately 
as kind of shifting from offering all of these products and, you know, a, a fun saying that we like to say is offering religious goods and services to really being centered around the presence of God. And a part of doing that isn't just a corporate thing, but it's also an individual crucifixion of the flesh. Mm. I mean, like you have to put to flesh, put to death the idea, oh, I'm just going to receive, to receive, to, to get, to get, um, so that I can, whatever the hidden motive is, but it turns into when you're really centered around the presence, what can I give to the Lord? How can I continually offer myself as a sacrifice to Jesus himself and be willing to be used in whatever way that he asks you to in that context? So that's the shift is like, I'm not coming to just be someone to watch a fun game or to, uh, you know, get some type of entertainment, but I'm coming to participate in an act of worship where I am exalting Jesus and then being sent out to do the work that, that he will ask me to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that that leads me to two questions. And if we can, if it makes sense, I, I think I want to ask, ask them and have them answered in this order. One is, is, um, why did this happen? Like what, why did churches take this on? Like this idea that we have to sell something. And then the second question is, is now what does it mean to be equipped? So shift into that part. I'll start with the, the easier one of the two, which is how we got here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) In my opinion. Right. So I, I would say that, um, Craig Rochelle, Pastor Craig often says what gets rewarded gets repeated. And the moment yeah. we started to elevate the large church, mega church model, the moment we started to give um, people position and platforms based off of the number of people that they put in a room, then we began to create a model that way. And it, it's not, I mean, this isn't uh, not uncommon, right? This isn't, this isn't new to our generation. No. If you go all the way back in church history, you can see that the, you know, the largest congregations had the most amount of power the archbishop of canterbury the you know all of these kind of like historical church models big people following one person equals power right sure so as a leader it requires a certain kind of bent to say don't follow me follow jesus and so when the goal became gathering people instead of connecting people with jesus then i think that was when we the enemy really infiltrated what the church was designed to do. Hmm. Matthew? I would also add, like in our particular American history, when you see, um, in at least in a lot of traditions that I'm familiar with, when you see the decline of the church, it often it came after the church grew to a point where it actually became influential in a worldly sense. Yeah. And so once the church, like I can speak uh, more from the Wesleyan Methodist stream because that's what I'm most familiar with. But once the church got to a place where, for example, camp meetings weren't just camp meetings that were about revival and personal renewal and presence of God, but politicians were showing up because it was such a big segment of society that they now are viewing the church as a a player in sort of like politics and worldly power. And once the church sort of kind of like, you you know, 
like it, like what we do as humans, you kind of like that attention. Yeah. You like the power and the sort of prestige of like feeling like you're a part of something, uh, helping shape the world and all of that. And it sometimes it starts so subtly. It starts with kind of noble intention, but we got so Christianity became, uh, you know, predominant enough in this country and institutionalized enough that I think it lost its radical edge. It lost its sort of, um, sort of raw great commission focus. And in, in that subtle kind of poison of sort of, you know, just kind of getting in bed with worldly power, which is kind of a crude way to say it. But I mean, that over time has led to the kind of models where the church is really about keeping people uh, satisfied and happy so that they keep coming and not so much at calling people into costly discipleship. Yeah. Amen to that. So the second question is, is so then let's say you have the, the revelation of like, okay, we actually are, are not necessarily rightly ordered in our uh, sense of purpose and intention here about what we what what is the purpose for church which is worshiping Jesus and what the church is meant to do in terms of forming people and sending them out so how do you move from that consuming model to an equipping and sending model well I think I mean that's <laughs> do you have a, all the answers that's because a big we question. would all like to know <laughs> that's a major question I mean that's 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 part of the reason that this ministry even exists is yeah. try to come alongside churches in that transformational process. But it's, um, well, I, I guess I want to say it at the beginning is it, that move is not easy. No. So you don't fix a consumer problem with another short term product. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't keep doing the same things or just, the same thing packaged differently and expect a different result. And so, you know, I know I've been a part of this kind of stuff in local churches multiple times, uh, trying to shift this kind of culture. And that's the work that we do with spirit and truth. And you like, it's, you should just know going into it as a leader, like trying to make this change will be costly it will be costly to you as a leader because it means intentionally doing things that do not feed people's consumer desires. And it means likely losing some people along the way who are not there at this point in their life interested in sold out discipleship to Jesus, but they're there because this is a nice thing that's sort of like meeting some need in their, in their life or family's life. And they're kind of like, like Tony said, they kind of want to like be in the room with Jesus. They just, but they're not, they're not really all in, you know? Yeah. And you have to know that before you're going to try to make practical changes, which we can, I think we can get into when it t- comes to how the pastor spends time, how you handle staffing in the church, the kind of things that you do as a church. I mean, there's a lot of s- practical things that I think we can talk about. I'm just saying you better count the cost before you get into all that, because yeah. we're, t- we're talking about, when you're fighting upstream mm-hmm. with a prevailing culture, you, that, that it's going to be costly along the way. Yeah. Well, let's start at, do you have any thoughts or anything to add there? Tony? Well, I, I would say, I would say um, similarly to what Matt said, 
the first switch is when the leader decides that the leader wants to be the one who radically follows Jesus. Yeah. We talk about this in almost all of our, our breakouts during our awakening weekends is that none of this will work if the leader doesn't do it. Yeah. So, so pastor, um, board chair, elder, whatever you're going to call it, right? If, if you don't have time to do evangelism, no one in your church will have time to do evangelism. If you don't have time to make disciples, then no one in your church will make disciples, right? It, and so it requires the leader to create um, the desire within themselves to say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus in a way that drastically changes my life mm-hmm. and let that trickle down or begin to, you know, to use the words of, of Paul, right? To follow follow me as I follow Jesus, right? If you're not actively following Jesus more so than you're actively trying to build a large congregation, then you'll never be able to change anything. Did you have something you wanted to add, Matt? Well, just that last bit, and I think this could be another good place to start. I think it's Tony's exactly right. A hundred percent agree with that. Um, I think another shift that you have to be willing to make early on is, and it goes back to something else Tony said is, you have to you have to change your expectations of what success looks like. Yeah. What you measure, what your metrics for success are, will greatly determine what you spend your time on and how your church foc- what what focus your church takes. And um, I actually want to share just a brief story of a conversation I had with Dr. Robert Coleman one time. Uh, he's the one who wrote Master Plan of Evangelism. Is that okay? Do we have time for yeah, that? Yeah, of course you do. Share a little story. I um, so I was. It was just a crazy thing. You know, we had a mutual friend. He, uh, he was semi-retired living in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, and I was doing my seminary degree at the time at Asbury. And um, he was teaching uh, still up at Gordon-Conwell, but he, mo- he lived most of his time in Wilmore. And because of this friend, I would sometimes when I was down there, they had a spare bedroom and I would just stay there for, during my intensive classes, which... You know, I had read his book in college, was hugely formational for me, and I was like sort of in awe, you know, like then, and it, this one morning, I, uh, we were eating breakfast, dry Cheerios, and I, I started asking him about his book, uh, The Master Plan of Evangelism, and this idea of disciples who make disciples and like what the shift looks like. Uh, for Christians today to try to follow Jesus model um, in churches today. And I was, you know, I was trying to like understand more. And I know he's coached and worked with a lot of pastors and church leaders. And I just was asking him, well, how do you actually do this though? Like in the church, like, you know, I, I read the book. I mean, changed, changed the way I thought about things. It's awesome. But how do you actually do it? Like, what's the trick, you know? Like, what's the... How do you actually do this in the local church? And I remember he kind of looked at me like, uh, you're a moron. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, he just looked at me. We're sitting at the kitchen table, and he's like, well, you actually have to do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know. Like, I mean, I know I got to do He's like, no. No, you, as the leader of the church, you actually have to make disciples yourself who will then make other disciples and then this is the part that has always stuck with me. And he said, as a leader, you have to be okay with this not looking good on a church report for years. And I was like, oh, oh, 
yeah so this isn't going to make me look good overnight yeah mm. oh that's it and there's such wisdom i think in what he was saying and basically like you have to decide are you in on the actual mission and vision of jesus and if so then you've got to abandon the stuff that is you that you, you you do to try to make yourself look good in the short term and try to pump up your numbers and attract crowds because it it will make you look successful you actually have to be all in yourself and lead the way and it's going to be a slow process and it's going to require you to change your metrics of success mm-hmm. i love how like both of your answers began with an individual revelation yeah. of this and how really i mean i think i'm i feel like i'm always the one to bring this part up but it that inward revelation it's so crucial to steward that in prayer like man jesus you have given me this revelation about this church that i'm shepherding or somewhere that i'm leading or um, even in my own personal life and how do you want me to respond you know, just inviting a few people, a few key people in your life into that place um, and to just begin to pray and to not make any super sudden moves or yeah. make any big changes right away, but just say like, well, thank you, Jesus, that you are really shifting the gears of my life right now to, to move away from this um, this worldly affirmation to be completely and wholly you know, okay with the, with the affirmation of the father, you know, that he says this about me. And I know that this is the direction that he is wanting me to go. So I'm going to do it. (laughs) So with the last sort of 15 or so minutes that we have, I, I would love to just dive into that part. Like, and I think that everybody here at this table has had one of these moments where we just experience that kind of internal agitation that changes the orientation of our compass. Like we're like, nope, can't, go that way anymore gotta go totally opposite direction and um so let's just talk about that a little bit because if you don't have that then nothing else will take root long term you might be able to like white knuckle it for a little bit but you can't make it stick yeah i'll never forget the moment that um i realized what i was doing at the church wasn't working i was on staff at a a fairly large church, a mega church. There were 2,500 people in the church and I was in charge of small groups. And I, so, you know, the small groups pastor, and if you got a conventional view of disciple making for most churches, this is the extent of what that means, right? Get into a small group, be in a community. And so I was very fortunate. The Lord was working in the church and there were 120 small groups and 120 small group leaders. And I was doing leadership training for uh, leaders that was bigger than a lot of people's, my peers' churches. Like it was, yeah, it was a tremendous honor. Let's just pause for a second. You said 120 small groups. Right. And how many people per group? Anywhere from six to 12. Yeah. So that's a lot of people. And uh, so I put together this incredible training and I'm just going to tell you it was good. Like it was a really good training (laughs) and it was, I used the metaphor of a raft and I actually put like a whitewater raft on the platform. And I talked about how the leader is, you know, leads from the rear and has the udder, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like uh, the rudder, rudder, (laughs) rudder, (laughs) udders on a cow. Uh, Listen, 
this story is good, I promise. So stay with me, stay with me. So the, the leaders like the so rudder good. and the people in the group pr- produce the power. And sure. like, and when you're whitewater rafting, there are times where you really have to give extra power and there are times where you have to stop. And, and you know, as the leader, you get the best out of your people. And so I, I gave, I, I really poured my heart into this teaching. I was super excited about it, full room. I saw the pictures. It was It was a really big deal for me. And at the end of the training, I said, uh, God has called us to multiply this ministry. And so I want to invite each one of you to find one person in your small group to start the next small group. And out of 120 small groups, five people responded. Mm. Five. And I, I had this moment where I was like, it didn't work. What we're doing didn't work. And later, months later, I would come to the realization that we weren't making disciples of Christ. We were making really small communities of Christians. And the difference is, is that when you are a disciple of Christ, you are compelled to move. And so from that moment on, I just decided that the disciple making that I was going to do was going to look completely different than just gathering small groups together. Now, do I love small groups? I absolutely do love small groups. Christian community is a part of the Christian identity, but so is one-on-one intentional, reproducible, missional disciple making. And, and in the years to come, I would just begin to create um, disciple making relationships everywhere I go, because it's the only thing that I think works right to to teaching someone to follow Jesus it's one on one it's messy it takes years it's full of repentance and tough conversations and love and tears and laughter and life and mm-hmm. and that is what i see in the gospels and that's what i want in my life that's awesome i love that and um you know i think i think one of the things that you just illustrated is that our models of ministry matter and if you think about our typical when we what the things that we've called discipleship in the church they are still kind of consumer oriented like you show up with a designated person who is going to be the dispenser of information right they're going to be the one who sets the tone leads the curriculum you're going to go through a particular either a book of the bible or you're just going to read a book together and Mm -hmm. talk about it you got your one person who's kind of kind of the guru of the group that's going to do it, lead it, and then you're going to move on to the next curriculum after that. It still is kind of like, even though you're not talking, like the topics themselves may be about whatever, radical generosity or, you know, yeah, not living on ideas, witness or whatever. Yeah. It's the the content is not necessarily the problem. It's the model itself is reinforcing a sort of consumer take just by the way that you're going about it. Yeah, and, and actually what you're describing is another version of a worldly model that uh, somebody decided to implant into the church, which is just our, our public education model. And there's actually been a lot of research done on this exact thing, which is there's a there's a philosophy of education um, that is basically called the empty cup perspective, which is like one person is a full cup of water or knowledge or whatever, and another person is an empty cup, and you just pour your knowledge into them, and there you go. You're done. You've, you've, made, uh, you've made a disciple. But actually, um, 
<laughs> we we have tried this for a very long time and we've seen it does not work. <laughs> yeah. We're, so what our, our metrics have been really about um, the number of people who show up. Are we transferring information? Yeah. Right. Well, that's not the same as transformation. Right. But we're transferring information from one person to another. And we are, are, are not ever actually measuring whether any of the people who are a part of these things then reproduce themselves. That's the leader reproduction that Tony's mm-hmm. just talking right. about. 120 groups, only five are able to identify a person who could lead another group. And so what we've done with most of our North American church models is we've just, we've subtly told people that you don't have a role in the Great Commission. Yeah. Like, when we talk about evangelism, we talk about inviting people to church. I'm not against inviting people to church. I think that inviting people to church is a great thing. But when we tell people that that's the, o- that's the only model that we give them for evangelism, what we're telling them is you actually are not qualified to share the gospel yourself. We need you. You can invite people. Your whole goal in evangelism is really just to invite a friend so that they can come and the experts can tell them about that's Jesus. Right. And that we are sort of like, I mean, we're cutting people's legs off before they get started. They, they, they don't even get a chance to get involved because the models that we are giving them have shown that they don't have a place mm-hmm. to actually be a part of this spiritual reproduction themselves. They're just sort of a cog in the wheel. You invite people, invite people on Christmas, invite people on Easter, get involved in a small group and, and show up to consume this mm-hmm. information, none of that involves giving them personal responsibility to say, how are you actually sharing your faith? How are you making disciples? And that sense of personal responsibility for every Christian is is the shift that has to happen if you're going to see the prevailing culture of a church move from a place where people are generally consuming to a place where people feel mobilized, like this is my mission to be a part of, collectively with these other people yeah not something i just give my tithe so that some professional can do it yeah well matt i think we've talked about this before too i mean you have your own moment of agitation where you're just like something has to be different yeah and um rather than telling the whole story i just want to know what it was like and i've had this question many times because i've heard you tell this story a ton yeah um i just want to know internally what it felt like for you as an uh in that moment you were a pastor of a church and you say this all the time it was like your dream church it was like on paper it was everything that you thought it needed to be what was it like just in that moment inside yourself where you just had to be honest with yourself and say this is actually not right well it happened over time so it wasn't like an instant thing it was like a slow creep in my soul of like recognizing oh, you, you're missing it. Mm. And there were a couple of things that really were super convicting. One is when I finally realized that everything we were doing as a church, I could explain with human reason. Like everything, like everything we were doing as a church, we can just produce ourselves with we have enough people and enough money and everything that's happening here are things that we can just do like i want to see god do something that only god can do mm. like i want to see god move in such a way that where we see the actual 
inbreaking power of God, and we're not. That's that's not my experience right now, and in myself, right. Another super convicting thing was was I I had this realization moment as I was around some people who got who were really serious about evangelism, and I just had this moment where was, I can't think of the last time that I had a conversation about Jesus with someone who didn't go to my church. And I'm like supposed to be telling other people, like my job as a pastor in my, at least I, I said my job was to help, you know, mobilize people for the Great Commission, like that we're going to share Christ with the world together. Like that's what we say we're about. And yet I personally couldn't think of the last time that I had done that. Now it doesn't mean that everything I was doing was in vain. Like there were still good things happening, but it was just a super convicting thought that hit me like, what am I actually doing? (laughs) Who am I actually discipling? You know, it was like these kind of these like reality check moments. And it happened over a series of months and kind of culminated with this, you know, sort of intense encounter with the Holy Spirit. But, um, you know, I, I would just encourage this isn't just for pastors. Yeah. If you're listening and, and you're just like, um, a frequent church attender, you know, maybe you're a kind of a vested interest person in your church. Like you, you've been a part of it. You, you care about what happens to your church. These are kind of like look in the mirror kind of moments for yourself to say, not what is my church doing? Like I am a part of the church. What am I doing? Like, what am I doing with my own life? Am I all in with Jesus to the point that I'm willing to talk with others and invest my actual time and hours resources to to disciple other people and uh i think this every you know sort of like renewal in the church happens by renewal in individuals yeah there's no magic switch that you flip and all of a sudden the church is different it happens when more and more of the people in the church are living different lives what about you emma i mean yeah i I um, resonate with that component of it. I'm not a pastor. I, um, for a long time, wasn't in any kind of leadership in the church, serving. Um, But I had a moment of internal agitation where, you know, the Lord met me and I was like, oh gosh, I have not been pursuing the real thing. Mm. And I have been consuming... um, in just different ways, but the Lord just said, pursue my real presence, pursue me, you know, and I will meet you and I will teach you and form you and uh, teach you how to, you know, live a Christian life and do Christian things. And it won't be, it won't be the picture perfect, you know, like it won't be always super pretty, but it will be a life of transformation, of being transformed into my image. And and it just took a, a moment where I had to say, okay, I have an option here. I have agency here. I can either continue in my normal, comfortable, um, kind of like ideal life where I don't have any responsibility as a Christian, but I can say I'm a Christian and it'll make other people think I look good. Or... I can sacrifice time, 
and my resources, like you were saying, Matt, to to pray, to really pursue the presence of God, to become a server and to um, really step outside of my comfort zone and pray with people in my family, people, you know, out on the street. I can serve in, in homeless shelters and do the things that Jesus did. You know, I can make the decision right now if I really want to to pursue the presence of God and to to want to follow him closely or not. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I also think it's such a, a powerful testimony that we all have that choice to make. Yeah. Um, Maggie, what about you? What was your kind of moment or realization? I, you know, actually I was think, sitting here thinking about that and I think what happened with me is, is, um, you know, my, my husband is a pastor. And so I was sort of in this, this interesting pastor's wife position. Now, I mean, we could, we could do a whole bunch of podcasts about pastor's wives. I, it's a fascinating sort of dynamic and topic in my mind, but, um, I think that I, for a long time, just buried my own sense of calling in the sort of all-encompassing nature of that work, of that, of the life that comes with being married to someone in clergy. And when you have, and I think I had a moment where the Holy Spirit was like, look, put up or shut up. You know, like either you have a calling and you're going to do your, you're going to walk not, not separate from my husband, but you know, you're going to walk the path that I put in front of you, or you're just going to be like, yay, you know, what I do is I support him and what he does. And, and that's really important. Don't get me wrong. Like I have a lot of, um, thoughts and feelings about those things. But, um, the truth is, is that the, the primary thing I came away with, which is, I think the universal takeaway for everyone is, is everybody is individually responsible Mm. for their, life and decision making with the Lord. It doesn't matter who you're married to. It doesn't matter if you work in a church or not in a church. Your professional title is actually not necessarily reflective of the fruit of your life with Christ. And you just cannot get away from those things. You know, part of, I and I, I'm not going to go into this in a deep way, but part of my story in coming to that realization was actually remembering some of my earlier years in my faith Mm. because there was a season in my life when I was in college ministry where I was really passionate about evangelism actually in high school I you know I used to help lead a bible study at my high school and would try to reach new kids at the school and was pretty open about my faith with a lot of people and you know I was kind of like all in and here's the way I want to say this because you know where I grew cold over the years in the church. Yep, where you, when you got the job. In the professional church world. Yeah. And I know I'm not alone in that. It was a slow creep, but what happened inside my own heart is when my life with Jesus became more than just my life with Jesus, but now got wrapped up in my profession, mm-hmm. it's like then um, I could sort of I could tr- I could trick myself into thinking that I was I was still all in because I was spending my work hours doing Jesus stuff. Yeah. And you know, I had to come to grips with that reality. Um you know, it's not like I stopped being Christian. I didn't walk away from the faith. I just recognized inside myself that there was where there was once 
a certain kind of fire that it had grown dim and cold Mm -hmm. and that the majority of what I was doing, I was doing as a job, not because of some deep connection and pursuit of a life with Christ, you know? And so, and that happens not just for people that work in churches that happens just for church people who've hung around the church for a long time yep and you've gone church week after week and over time it has just become a thing that you do and it's okay that i mean it there's a certain normalcy to that like the habit of uh religious life in the church has a way you know of, of that happening but it doesn't have to stay that way And I think that's what we want to say in this podcast is that actually Jesus can still break in no matter, you know, where you are, where you've been. And he wants to do that in your individual life. And he wants to do that collectively in your church to bring you to a place um, that is not about consumerism, but really is about abiding in his presence and being mobilized for the mission. Amen. Any final thoughts there, Emma? You've got your Bible. I sure do. Well, I love... I love that, Matt, the way that you put that, because the truth is, is that this type of transformation happens only when you're in relationship with Christ. I mean, he's the only one that can really renew your thoughts, renew your mind in a way that sees the difference between the worldly way of consuming versus um, the way that we are meant to, you know, meditate on on Jesus all day long. He is our good shepherd and he will be the one to correct our course and to lead us um, in the way of everlasting. And that's so beautiful. The The scripture that I pulled out is one that I've been um, just praying on for a little while. And it is uh, the one in Matthew where it's a little bit more of a, not scary, but in a sense kind of scary one where it says, Uh, You know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. You know, they will say, didn't I prophesy in your name? And didn't I cast out demons? And didn't I lead this small group? And didn't I do these things? (laughs) I'm serious. Yeah. Didn't I do all these things? And, And Jesus says, I never knew you. What, what he's after is your heart, not your ministry. Yeah. And so that's where the that's where we get off is when we think oh my ministry is more important to the lord it's more important that i have a number in my church or it's more important that i have happy people that sit on their butts in the seats it's more important about these things than it is about my personal heart being fully devoted to jesus and that is a scary scripture but it's true that he is pursuing us and he has and he's shown it and proved it and so we have everything to give back to him. Amen. Well, I think that's probably a perfect place to wrap up this discussion. Uh, you can tell our conviction around this is strong. Yeah, <laughs> Many feelings, Sorry. many Com- thoughts, many feelings. Coming in hot. Um, but hey, our hope and prayer is um, for you to live into that conviction with us. And we know that many of you listening are partners in our ministry, and we thank you so much We read every review that you leave, and we are so thankful for the people that send us emails and just comment when we're out and about about what this podcast means. Uh, Rachel Coleman the other day paid us a a super high compliment on Facebook, and just so thankful for people like her in our community. Uh, And if you're wondering, you know, how can you be more a part of this community? One of the ways to support us is through giving. 
We're a 501c3 nonprofit. We exist to walk alongside the local church. And all of us here are dependent upon the generosity of others to continue to do the ministry that we love. So if you're considering about how to lean in to this community so that we can help walk alongside the church and empower the church, please consider going to spiritandtruth.life slash give. spiritandtruth.life slash give. We're so thankful for each and every one of you, and we will see you guys real soon.